Let's turn together to Numbers chapter 6. Advent starts next week. Today we wrap up our fall uh, teaching series in terms of Sundays and groups. Um, I've been studying through, really taking Jeremiah 2.13 and kind of like expanding that out and seeing how it can apply to us. This is what God says to the people, in case uh, you haven't been along for the journey. This is what he says to Israel in Jeremiah 2.13. He says, My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Uh, he's speaking in terms of idolatry, that Israel had begun to look to created things in order to get out of these created things what God created them to get from him. So on their search, rather than looking to God for whatever it may be, they had started to look to creation. And so they would ask the moon, the God of the moon, to give them certain things, or God of the sun, or the river, or it could be anything. It could be uh, a face carved into a tree. It could be anything. Uh, we see that kind of idolatry around our world today. You know, people worshiping statues and those kinds of things, or worshiping nature. And so God's like, "Hey, when you're looking to to create anything that's created instead of to me, it's, it's idolatry." And He uses this agricultural metaphor. He says, "I'm the fountain of living waters, uh, a fountain or a freshwater spring, or even like a river. Like those were the those were the best sources of water for them in terms of watering their." their crops and having water for their animals and their families. And uh, the worst possible option, you would dig a hole in the ground and fill it up with water and uh, hope that it held, you know, and eventually that water would become uh, toxic and it was no good. And so he's like, when you're, when you're looking to created things, it's, it's, it's like choosing to drink out of a cistern instead of this fountain that's right there. And so their idolatry looked really specific. Our idolatry in our world will look different in different parts of the world, but really, what does it look like for us? You know, What does it look like in the deep south in 2021, almost 2022? What does idolatry look like for us? And so uh, the last few weeks, I've been talking about our starting with what are we searching for, and then, then going from there into the broken cisterns we tend to look, search for that thing in, and then what God is offering to us. And so the things we've been searching for have been things like belonging and uh, approval and direction and relief from stress and security in a very unstable world, that kind of thing. Um, here we are searching for those things, and uh, the world around us offers us all kinds of solutions, whether it's finding that stuff in people or in substances or in entertainment or in money, or in citizenship, you know, whatever it may be. And God is over here saying, hey, uh, I've come to give you love. That's what you're really searching for. I've come to give you grace. I've come to give you the wisdom of heaven. I've come to give you um, the the kind of security and like like firm future and foundation that you can have faith in. Uh, and so this morning, to close out the series, I want to talk about our search for happiness. And uh, like most of these 
most of these things that the search the, the searches that we're on are good. Like there's nothing wrong with these searches, right? And even the cisterns themselves, it's really about our relationship to them. You know, a lot of times we're looking for, we're searching, and we're using like created things. We're just misusing them. We're looking to them to provide something they were never meant to provide. And happiness is, is the same way. Like, um, does God want us to be happy? Absolutely. That's why he gave us things to enjoy. Uh, you look around creation, and like the reason why you look at a, at a beautiful sunset, and it kind of takes you back a little bit, is that God created... I mean, think about all the different like things in our like physical world that work together to create a beautiful sunset. Like God did that. That was, He wasn't like, "Whoa, look at that. I didn't even know that was going to do that." You know, He's like, "No, that's part of what, why it works the way it works." Um, when we sit down to enjoy like a really good meal, um, that's like God made food awesome. You know. When we you sit down with a really good cup of coffee and you're like, man, this is just a dirty, this is dirty bean water, and it tastes so good. Uh, even even down to things like our pets, like I told the first service, like I feel like dogs, like God, like intentionally was like, I'm not going to make dogs awesome. I'm going to make their tails wag. You know, like they they can't even hide the fact that they're happy to see you. Like it's their face, maybe not so much, but you're going to know. You're going to know. Like there's just so much within creation that he has done that we enjoy and it's because he made it that way um and all of those things are supposed to reorient us back to him you know that's the that's the ideal is for the things we take enjoyment in to make us grateful so you see that beautiful sunset and you're like lord thank you thank you for letting me see that thank you for creating that thank you that's that's even a possibility you know um, we share that meal and, and you and you think, how in the world did God make all these different ingredients, make really smart people know how to grow them and harvest them and have some sort of like supply chain, which is the new buzzword, right? To get it to the grocery stores, to get it to the kitchens of chefs and cooks and people who just know how to put all those different things together in this like really spectacular way that we can enjoy it. Like, Everything that goes into a really good meal, all that stuff, should make us grateful to the Lord that he made it all. And he made the people that helped get it there. And the people, hopefully, that you're sitting there enjoying the meal with. I mean, it's supposed to just evoke gratitude. Um, Even dogs. He didn't have to make their tails wag, but he did, you know. Does your dog being happy to see you make you thankful to the Lord? Well, that's the goal. That's that's this kind of like heavenly happiness that just it points us back to him. Um, but like a lot of things in our brokenness, we can kind of find a way to make it go back to us as well. Because the pursuit of happiness leading to gratitude and worship to the Lord uh, is an ideal. But sometimes something that's more of a reality we live in is that our pursuit of happiness is about what makes us feel good makes our flesh our you know whatever it is it's instead of instead of orienting us to the lord it kind of orients us back to ourselves and our pursuit of happiness becomes very self-centered in that way if we're not careful and if you were to really go down that road that leads to um it really leads to unhappiness because 
when it's self-centered, it starts to come up short. And so we start trying to have more, and then it satisfies us less. And it really becomes like the pattern of addiction can apply to not only substances, but also to happiness, where we start to search for it. And things are coming up short, and so we find something else. And then we're willing to just find it even little little bits. And then maybe we're looking for it in places that are actually kind of compromising who we are to the point we're willing to sin or use other people or whatever it may be for those moments of happiness, very temporary. And and so that's a, that, that leads to really difficult places. And it cultivates in us this, this weird thing about like modern culture, especially where we live, that we don't really know how to deal with unhappiness very well. You know, when we're unhappy, it's like, well, I have, I have to do something to like get me back to where I need to be. I'm not talking about, you know, I'm not talking about depression and the, like clinical kinds of things. I'm just talking about like we're living our lives and we don't know how to deal with unhappiness, so we avoid it. Or when we're there, we just let me find something to make me happy again, and we end up overcorrecting a lot and just gets into into things. You're like, I just can't believe that this is what how God intended it to be. And that's correct. That happiness is supposed to play a role. But happiness is is secondary to this biblical idea of joy. And so these broken cisterns offer us happiness. But God, the fountain, is saying, hey, how about how about joy? Which will, when joy in its is in its right place, it will reorient how we relate to all those things that make us happy. Like it'll, it'll give you a proper relationship to sunsets and food and dogs and all the many other places that we tend to look for happiness when joy is fully present. Um, and so let me say a few things about joy before we get going uh, into Numbers chapter 6. Uh, joy is... Uh, from the beginning of the Bible to the very end. Like it is throughout the whole story and um, like 400 times kind of thing. Like joy, rejoicing, even in joy. Like all those kinds of things are, are in there. And the joy is something that we feel. And so it kind of makes it confusing. And sometimes it's it's easy to make joy, to kind of lump it in with some other things or kind of like get too many of the ideas Confused, so because we something that we feel sometimes joy and happiness are like they're they're interchangeable in our minds uh, when really they are they are quite different. You can be joyful and unhappy at the same time. So I'll talk more about that in a minute. Um, sometimes joy is associated to favorable circumstances that we're joyful when everything is going right, you know, and we're something else when things are going wrong, but. In the Bible, uh, the Bible speaks of joy uh, in like in the really great times and in the terrible times. Uh, there's this sense of like, yeah, things are tough, but I'm going to rejoice. So we read in Habakkuk last week. You know, Paul says that writing the letter of Philippians as he's in prison. You know, and so it's not about circumstances and it's not about happiness. They're not the same thing. Um, sometimes joy is, is associated with like a personality type, you know, like someone will say, well, that person, like he's really joyful or she's so full of joy. 
Whereas maybe like someone that's maybe not as bubbly is considered to not be full of joy, but that's those are not the same thing. Uh, you can be joyful and uh, like like steady, let's say, as someone who shares that quality. Um, I got, people may not look at me and be like, "That's a joyful dude right there," you know. But you're you're just looking at what's on the outside. See, joy joy is not necessarily expressed the same way for all of us. And so how your joy expresses itself and how mine are, are going to be different. You line us all up and the joy is this, it's, it's coming from the same place, but it's surfacing in different ways. And so it isn't circumstances. It isn't happiness. It isn't personality driven. It's not expressed the same way. Joy is something, something else. And so what, what is it? Well, something that's important to keep in mind is that joy, uh, joy begins with God. Like joy was uh, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Joy was a part of that because it's it's a part of who He is. Joy wasn't created, and here's how we know it: If you read Genesis one, as He's creating at each stage, what is what does He say at the end of it? He says, "Oh, it's good." That's my impression of God. He says it's good. He enjoys what He just created. It wasn't on the fourth day. Joy surfaced. Joy was there the whole time. So Genesis 1 is full of God expressing joy in his creation. And when he gets to those made in his image, he says, this is very good. And so God, like John Orberg says that, he says, God's the most joyful being in the whole universe. And I don't know if you, if you think of God that way. If when you, when you picture God, uh, which is Hard to do. We're probably not supposed to even try to do it. But uh, when we picture God, like, is he joyful? Or is he, like, really stoic, you know? We've had a lot of art and literature influence this whole idea. And uh, as I said earlier, for me, probably, I said in the first service, the, the far side cartoons probably influenced my view of God. He was always just an old man with a long beard, you know? But God is full of joy. Isaiah 62, verse 5, is how he is described. As a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. Let's think about that for a second. As a bridegroom, or as we call a groom... As a groom rejoices over his bride, that's how God rejoices over his people. Um, James, don't tell a story again, if that's okay. Do that have your permission? Okay. So, uh, this is James McCann. His lovely wife, Taylor, got married a couple weeks ago. A few months ago, when they were engaged, me and James are down here talking in between the services. And I'm facing this way, and he's facing like the back of the room. And we're talking about music or something, probably. And I look at him, and he's just like, his eyes just full of tears. He's like, was stopped like mid sentence, eyes full of tears. And I was like, what did I, what did I say, you know? And he's looking over my shoulder, and Taylor had just, she just walked in the door. He just saw her across the room and just got like all his emotions were there. It was beautiful and awesome. 
You've all been to weddings. You've seen you've seen the look on their faces when the bride and the groom see each other. And even if they've seen each other before in that day, there's something about that moment in the wedding ceremony. She's back there and he's down here and they lock eyes and there's just magic happening. And God's like, yeah, take that as a shadow of the heavenly reality of how I rejoice over my people. And that's not to diminish the love between a bride and a groom. It's just saying you're a shadow of something bigger. We are supposed to pull that into our understanding of God's relationship to us. That's a lot of joy. Also, a lot of joy. Zephaniah 3.17 The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Does that sound like God enjoying you? Isn't that what you do with people that you enjoy? If you are holding a baby, don't you find yourself like just wrapped up in that moment? You ever see a mom with her baby just singing to it, talking to it? There's, see what I'm saying? There's, there's something happening that maybe is not what we have been conditioned to think about in relation to how God feels about us. Perhaps that's why in Galatians 5, Verse 22, when Paul is like, let me, let me tell you what the Spirit of God looks like in real life. Let me tell you about his inherent qualities. Let me tell you who he is. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace. He goes on to name the other ones. Like, fruit of the Spirit meaning very literally, like, like if, I, I'm not like very agriculturally inclined, and so I need like, to walk up to a tree and see the fruit on it to know what kind of tree it is. And some of you are really good at like, well, the leaves mean this and the bark means this. And I'm like, I just need to see, is it lemons? You know, are they satsumas? Like, I just need to know. And please, and hopefully it's not uh, some different kind of orange. Like to me, they're all oranges, you know? So uh, that's what, that's what Paul is saying is the fruit, like the, how you know it's God of the spirit is Joy. Awesome, right? Like, this is who God is. So that's that puts it in another kind of category. Now let me tell you a few things that uh, I have been uh, deeply diving into in the last, just the last couple of days, and so I'm kind of into it right now, so forgive me. <laughs> but uh, in the last couple of years, uh, especially during Advent, like joy is one of the themes. And so I feel like I've been learning about joy off and on in the, for years now. There's a book that, that came uh, came my way and came to the staff. Uh, and it's really kind of like, it's it's out there. Like a lot of people are, are starting to read it and not out there bad. Like it's, it's prominent. Um, it's called The Other Half of Church. And it's by Jim Wilder and Michael Hendricks. And you have a... You have a like a neurologist and a pastor that got together, one uh, really just to, f- 
to try to figure out how understanding the way the brain works and understanding spiritual formation, like how those fit together. And through their conversations, it was so transformational for them. They're like, we got to start writing this stuff down. And then that became a book. There's also a podcast if you uh, don't like books, but you like podcasts. Uh, we'll have them talking about through different elements of this. And a, a lot of what they are talking about is how most of us in terms of Western churches, most of churches structured to engage like the left part of our brain, like the black and white logical reasoning part of our brain. So we like, you know, we like theology. We like uh, memorize the scriptures, pray the prayers. Like we like, like a lot of those kinds of things are how a lot of church programs are set up. And we're kind of like ignoring the other part of our brain, which is the relational, like creative part of us. And, um, and so they wrote a book of, of like how every, everything is actually going through both parts of the brain. And so everything you're engaging in, it's right brain, then it's left brain, but it's all whole brained. Uh, and so it's very, 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 very interesting. Let me tell you where, where this comes in with joy. Is there, they talk about joy and its effect on our brain chemistry and our understanding of, of so much of life. Almost as if God intentionally created us. And particularly about joy and the emphasis for today, they talk about joy in the terms that joy is relational. Like, you have to be in relationship with someone for it to be joy. Uh, so the example that they use is like chocolate, right? They say like, you might enjoy, like chocolate might make you happy, but you can't enjoy it because like the way, in their words, chocolate cannot smile back at you. Like chocolate cannot let you know it's glad to be with you. The chocolate enjoys you. And that's one way to separate joy and happiness is that there are tangible things that it's one way though. You enjoy that meal. You enjoy that sunset. You enjoy even your pets. Um, but joy is about, it's about an interpersonal connection. And they say that joy is a response. Like uh, from a brain science standpoint, it is the way your brain responds to someone who is glad to be with you. So think about that for a second. Joy is the response of your brain to another person who is happy to be with you. So you walk into a room, that person lights up when they see you. You see that on their face and your brain interprets that as joy. Like I, I bring joy to that person and that brings joy to me. And so you smile back. And your face is communicating to their face. We are enjoying seeing each other. And that amplifies itself. And you know, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's, it's the difference between walking into a room full of strangers, okay, who maybe won't even look at you. So, so you experience presence, but you don't experience joy necessarily. Maybe you're looking around and you spot the person you're there to meet and they light up and they wave at you and they're happy to see you and you're happy to see them and that's joy that is happening. Um, it is how God created us. They even get into things about like that our brains can do that in 3D but we can't do that in 2D. 
which is why like Zoom and FaceTime and those kinds of things certainly meet a need. But it's why we all struggled so much during COVID because we weren't we weren't having like three dimensional interpretations of our relationships with each other. You know, then you put the mask on, and that just adds a whole other layer to it. Like it's really, really like a fascinating thing to chase down. Of just like, man, what? No wonder we're so sluggish. No wonder there's such atrophy because we we weren't working those joy muscles. You know what I mean? Like we weren't like we weren't flexing that part of our brains. We weren't experiencing that as consistently as we were pre-COVID. And even since then, it's like we've been like slowly, slowly having to like build back up to that. And so you think about that for a second, that joy is a response to someone who's happy to be with you. That means that the face is really important. It means like being able to see facial expressions is really crucial. And not even necessarily like a smile. Like people can smile because we're polite and we smile. You know the difference in someone's entire countenance when they're happy to be with you versus they're just being polite. Like we can interpret all of those things. They even get down in this book to like things like um, the way that our churches are set up. Like the the difference in you're sitting there and you're looking this way. You can't really see other people's facial expressions. You unfortunately are relying on my facial expression right now uh, to let know what's going on. As opposed to if we were in a situation where... Um, Maybe the focal points, that, let's say the teacher was in the middle of the room and everyone else is, is around you, like in the round. That that is better for our brain, like the way our brains work. It's to be able to sit there and to look across and see other people smiling or thinking or praying or singing or whatever it may be. That that, that sort of like cross-dimensional setup of a room would be better for us than a lecture setup like we have now. I'm all for it. Some of y'all are like, oh, that's my worst nightmare. But I would love I would love that. That's why some of the services where we reconfigured the room a little bit differently and people are like, man, I really like the setup. Like, yeah. Yeah, because we're seeing each other. So you think about all that, all that put together is maybe why number six is worded the way that it is. Before I read it, I want you to I want you to think about something for me, and like really just be honest with yourself. Like, how would you describe God's face toward you? Like, if you're really being honest, like when you think about God looking you in the face, is he is he smiling at you? Like, can you interpret him and what his countenance is doing to know that he enjoys the heck out of you? That he absolutely adores you. Like a bride and a groom, like a parent and their baby, that kind of connection. Not even worried about what your face is doing, but what is his face toward you? Do you believe that God's happy to be with you? Do you believe that God enjoys you? 
A lot of us probably don't. You know? That's probably not what we default to. Depending on how you were brought up, depending on what your discipleship has looked like, depending on what you know how the morning has gone, it can be all kinds of factors. It's easy to feel like God God's face would be disappointed. God's face would be distracted. God's face would be just kind of that way of being like, you're, you're too much for me right now. I don't have time for you right now. You need to start acting right if you want this to work kind of thing. We take those different, different influences of our lives, most of the time parental, most of the time dad, and we kind of assume that God is the same way. And that's not fair to God and not fair to dad. But the scriptures say that God enjoys us. That he is happy to be with you. That he's not a grumpy old man sitting on the throne of heaven, barking out orders. And that Jesus is not there being like, come on, dad, go easy on him. God's not aiming a bow and arrow of wrath at you. And Jesus is like, don't worry, I'll jump in front of it. I'll protect you from dad. I can just keep going if you want, but you know what I'm saying. The scriptures say that God enjoys us, and perhaps that's one of the reasons why the blessing in Numbers chapter 6 is worded the way that it is. So I want to read it, even though it's something that we say over one another all the time. I want to read it with all of that joy stuff in mind, all that brain science stuff in mind, all that stuff about the face and the countenance and what it communicates. Verse 22. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you, keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. Now, there's no way to know this for sure. But what if God, knowing full well how the brain works, what if he knows that life is going to be a beat down for my people? People of Israel, people of us. Life is going to be hard. And it's going to seem like I'm not with them and I'm not for them. And so what I want my priests to do is I want you to stand in front of them every day and speak this over them. You've heard me talk about it before. The priests would they would put their hands together, something like this, uh, which I believe, and I believe looks like the Hebrew word Yahweh. They would put their hands over the people in that way. 
and speak this blessing. And could it be that God's like, yeah, every day our folks are going to need to know that the face of God shines upon them with graciousness and that the countenance of God is something that should bring peace to you, whatever is going on. Could it be that the priestly blessing is about the joy of the Lord being spoken over the people of God, of saying he delights in you, he enjoys you, he loves you and he is with you, whatever today has brought or will bring, this is true. And notice at the end of the blessing, he says, verse 27, so shall they put my name upon the people of God. He says, the way I'm going to mark you is with my joy. That's huge, I think. And that does not mean that the people of God are always positive and always happy and always bubbly and all that. You need to be you. What it means, though, is that the people of God walk in a kind of confidence and assurance of knowing that God enjoys us and loves us deeply and is going to walk us through whatever it is that we're facing. And so that's how there can be joy in the midst of suffering and joy in the midst of unhappiness and joy in the midst of the worst things that life can bring. That even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not be afraid because you're with me. Like That's how those things can coexist for us. And so there is a way to celebrate your way through hard times. You don't necessarily have to be there in the moment, you know. Like sometimes we're walking through times of deep pain and deep grief. Uh, the last thing you want to do is go to church and be like, come on, let's stand on your feet. Join the house of the Lord, you know. And be forced to like clap on two and four, you know. It's like, ah, I'm not there. It's fine. You'll, you'll get there, though. I think that's a part of what joy is. Is I may not be there now, but now it's not ultimate. This situation I'm going through, this sorrow is not, like, it's not forever. Sorrow will last for a night or we'll find a season, but joy comes after that. Joy will, like, it will prove itself to be true because that's who God is, that he is love and joy and peace and patience. It's who he is. And so that's who he will keep being to us over and over and over and over again. Jesus says that he will share his joy with us, that he will make our joy complete, that no one will take our joy from us. He's making these promises, these guarantees before he went to the cross, like this is going to be reality. And so... Something that you see throughout the Bible is when people are celebrating, it's because God has done something, or God is doing something, or God has promised that he will, and we believe that promise. And so we're going to celebrate uh, ahead of time. It's all, it's, we're looking back, looking forward, looking in the, in the moment, but it's that God is active among us, that he, 
he's enjoying us. His face is shining upon us. And whatever, whatever we're walking through right now will not last forever. So there's joy in knowing who has the final word. And so it may mean that you don't sing all the songs. It may mean that you aren't necessarily happy about things and all that kind of stuff. But but that joy can resonate because he enjoys you. He's with you. He's for you. And it's going to be okay. It says in Hebrews 12 that Jesus... Had to do. He had to push through. Well, when he was going through the crucifixion, is what it says in Hebrews twelve two. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. For the joy that was set in front of him endured the cross. We don't know what that joy was. One day we're going to ask him. Awesome. We don't know what the joy that was set before him was, but if it was consistent with biblical joy, as he's going through this intense suffering that's more, I mean, it's more than we'll ever understand, the joy set before him probably had something to do with the Lord blessing him and keeping him in that moment. And the face of the Lord shining upon him with graciousness in that moment. And the countenance of the Lord lifting upon him and bringing him a peace to which he said, I'm going to keep going. That's enough. And so whatever, whatever we walk through in life in terms of happiness, we can always keep setting joy before us. Look at what God has done. Look at what he is doing. Look at he, what, what he will do. I can, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me because the joy of the Lord is my strength. It's not always an easy thing to put into practice, but it is uh, really, really strong. And I hope that it resonates well with you today. In a minute, we're gonna we're gonna kind of sing along those both of those lines a little bit of like looking back, and then we're gonna teach you a new one that's like for Advent about looking forward. Uh, so that'll kind of be the pattern going forward from here. But it seemed like in the first service, maybe in, in this one as well, that the locking in a little bit on like how to, what's God's countenance toward me? Do I believe that God enjoys me? Do I believe that I put a smile on His face? Is something like to maybe zone in on a little bit as we sing. Uh, that's between you and the Lord. So what we do at Living Hope, if you're here first time, we just we spend a little bit of time on the back end here, just kind of singing, praying, just responding to whatever God's stirring in us. Because when we're done, then your Sunday continues, and there's plenty of things to distract us. But this time is for for us, you know, and for the Lord. And so uh, I want you to stand. I'm going to pray for us. Then we'll sing looking back and sing looking forward. So let's bow our heads and close our eyes. and Let's take a second to really think about how you would answer that. Like do you, not only how God, how you think his countenance is to you, but 
maybe more importantly, like, do you believe that he enjoys you? Like, do you believe what the scriptures say is true about God's joy and delight in you? If you don't, then you just need to tell him that. So, Father, we, we come before you and just want to be honest. And if I could, on behalf of the room, I just want to invite you to speak to those things this morning. Like, if anyone here disagrees with what those verses say, and there are so many more I could have gone to, would you speak to that this morning? Would you weigh in? on your opinion in a way that they can hear from you and sense that graciousness and peace coming. And for those who do believe that, would you just solidify that and reinforce it? And as we sing about how you have been faithful and how you will be faithful, could this joy find its way into those who are in a really tough time right now? And are having a hard time believing that joy is even something that they can grab onto. And in some situations, that just might be their reality. It's just too dark, you know. Just assure them that it won't stay that way. And so as we pray and sing, would you have your way in this place in our closing moments together in a way that uh, continues to mark us and change us so that we leave from this place uh, differently than we walked in.